Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, the NFL, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 149. Fun fact, the longest current winning streak by any Big 12 school over Iowa State is one. That is tied with Baylor, Oklahoma, and now West Virginia going into this season. So basically, we've beaten everybody either this year, last year, or I guess technically the year before last in the case of Oklahoma. Oh, no, we beat Oklahoma last year. Just they beat us in the Big 12 championship game. That's why it's one. Yeah. I see. Exactly. That makes sense. That makes sense. Also, fun fact, uh, Matt Campbell is now the second longest tenured head coach in the Big 12. Uh, Gary Patterson got fired yesterday yeah. at TCU. So. Yeah, thanks to thanks to Gary Patterson's departure. Yeah, he is. Mike, Mike Gundy is number one, and Matt Campbell is the second most tenured coach in the Big 12. And he's only been there, what, like six years? Seventh season, right? No. Sixth season? This, this is his sixth season, yeah. This is right? sixth season? Okay. It's got to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's going to be – I mean, Mike Gundy's obviously got a bunch of years on Matt Campbell uh, being a 17-year – I think it's 17 years at Oklahoma State. It's been a long time. Similar to uh, Ference at Iowa. But that it's isn't the real issue. There's these thing about streaks, and it's a, streaks like that, and it's you can't catch them unless they leave. Right. Because everybody right. accrues time at the same way. So. But then technically, when he's the longest active, you don't have to catch him. You just have to be there still. True, right. Eventually, he'll no longer be active. But anyway. Right. On to more important things, like the reason West Virginia has a one-game winning streak against Iowa State right now. Uh, and that's because uh, the Cyclones sort of laid an egg at, at West Virginia. Um I don't really know um, what else to say about that. I mean, the defense was an absolute mess, giving up 38 points in this game. Um, without Mike Rose, this defense was just not, especially the, the passing defense was not there without Mike Rose to anchor it um, in the middle. I think my observation was that this defense was too concerned about getting beat in the middle without Mike Rose in there that they gave up too much um, on the outside trying to avoid getting beat at the middle. Most of most of West Virginia's completions were sideline routes, right? They didn't complete much over the middle, and I think it's because we were compensating too much for, for Mike Rose being out and giving up too much on the sideline. But that defense was not the same without Mike Rose, not even close. Yeah, I in... I would say our Iowa State sideline to sideline coverage was not great either. Um, I felt like they were definitely compensating a lot. There was a there was a drastically different game plan for this defense coming into this football game, um, and I just felt like the the outside linebackers and the the outside corners weren't flying to the football like we usually see. Um, Greg Eisworth was there on a bunch of plays, and Aishim Young, they they kind of stepped up to fill some of the void that was left in the middle, but 
there were there were some definite definite issues on the outside. Uh, Jake Hummel did have a nice interception return for a touchdown in this game, and I thought that would be a big momentum swing for the Cyclones. But I mean, the other thing that was that was a big mess in this game was Iowa State on third down, and we talked about how the defense was a mess, right? But offensively they they didn't do a whole ton to pick up the defense they did have a bunch of big plays uh in this game that really helped brock purdy did break a big run um that there was that big pass to Tariq milton as well but third on third down iowa state was um sorry i was looking at the oklahoma state i was like that's too familiar they were two of 12 Two of 12 on third down in this game, which just hurts you. It puts your defense in a big predicament. You're on the field a lot more. They were two of three on fourth down, uh, but two of 12 on third down is a huge issue and something that has to get fixed. Quite frankly, that's just not good enough. Uh, On paper, West Virginia outplayed us there. 28 first downs to 16, and West Virginia was 9 of 15 on third down. They were able to convert. Iowa State wasn't. Yeah, yep, third, third down hurt the Cyclones. Goal line issues also hurt the Cyclones. This has been an issue for multiple years um, under Matt Campbell, going all the way back to, what, probably 2017 even. Goal line issues have been a problem for Matt Campbell. We had another situation. Again, Iowa State had it first and goal from the one after Brock Purdy, who we had vintage Brock Purdy in the second half. He was pump faking guys. He was running all over, just like you sort of saw his freshman year when he did that all the time. That was fun to see, I will say. I loved that part of Brock Purdy's game um, on Saturday, all the pump fakes and runs. That was awesome. But after one of those Brock Purdy runs um, in the fourth quarter to get down to the one, um, Brees Hall can't get into the end zone, fumbles. West Virginia ends up recovering that. Um, and pretty much um, dooming Iowa State from there. Um, there was some questionable officiating, of course. Um, I'm sure anybody who watched the game would see. Wyatt, I think you said there were five um, calls, five really bad calls in that game, and not all of them against Iowa State, but I think you saw five bad calls. Is that correct? Yeah, I had five off the top of my head. One of them was that fumble being called on the field as a fumble. Um, the, the other four, real quick, we'll, we'll go down. There was an OPI call against West Virginia that was pretty bad, I thought. Yeah, that um, was before the pick six. It set him up yeah, the, first and 25. Yeah, it went OPI, delay a game, and then a pick six. Uh, there was a, a DPI in West Virginia, too, that was extremely questionable. Was not a big fan of the, uh, the touchdown that they called. Uh, I, I can't really gripe too much on that one i guess i'd probably replace that one with the uh dpi called on us in the end zone which should have been a hold because the ball was not released when the flag was thrown um and then there, there was one other issue uh which was the the spot the very last spot of the ball for iowa state um that to me was an obvious first down that was marked two or three yards back to make it fourth and you know, false start, ten second runoff, game's over after that uh, final hail mary play. So yeah, and it I, changes but... it changes a lot that last one, right? Because if it's a first down, first the clock stops. Second, it's first down, so then you can run up and spike it. 
um, which you can't do on fourth down for obvious reasons. So that was that was a big one too. I would um, say that I mean yeah, that's a thousand percent correct. I would say that here and there throughout the game, there were I, this crew had some issues spotting the football. There was. There was one time where I thought West Virginia clearly had a first down because the wide receiver reached his arm out to cross the first down marker as he was going out of bounds. The ref spotted him almost a yard short uh, where he ended up actually running out of bounds. Um, There were a couple instances like that in the um, game. Also, on that fumble in the end zone... I had no problem with it being ruled a fumble on the field, but through replay, I I thought it was pretty clear that he was down. Um, and the other thing about it was, I don't know if you guys saw it, they, the side judge, uh, or the, sorry, the line judge, excuse me, on Iowa State's side of the field came running in and signaled touchdown yeah. on that play. Uh, he was overruled. Um by by the i guess other the line judge on the opposite side of the field um but that was obviously a clear uh miscommunication on the sidelines uh coach matt campbell on that review randy peterson tweeted out uh he said i watched the side the line judge on our side signal touchdown and then it's not a touchdown i guess i don't really understand the mechanics of what's going on in that situation um a lot of a lot of people I would say didn't understand the mechanics um, one of the things that I saw brought up was how how might this game have been different had it been on a bigger network let's say had it been on ESPN ESPN 2 on Fox FS1 might there have been more camera more angles cameras. For, yeah. for that scenario to to get a better picture of what's going on. I think that's where I think that's where the Big 12 gets screwed because ESPN Plus frankly is the forgotten about network that they put they should be putting teams like Kansas on all the time, but they are only allowed one conference game a season for football. But it really hurts instances like this when there were quite a few reviews during this game. Might it have helped that that touchdown call for West Virginia that we were all a little baffled by? I, quite frankly, didn't think he had possession of the ball, which was something that no one even talked about. All they were talking about was was his foot in bounds. Did he land in bounds? No one was looking at the the actual possession, and I thought he was bobbling it when his foot could have potentially touched the ground still. So, yeah. On, on your point of camera angles, the one I never saw on that touchdown fumble play was the the goal line angle from Iowa State side. I don't know if there wasn't a camera there or what, but I never saw it and I thought that might have helped, right, determine where the ball was when it came out slash knee elbow hit the ground. Right. Um, so so let's let's real quick unpack that uh, some more and that let's discuss the the actual officiating mechanics of, of a goal line play like that. You obviously have two guys uh, on either side of the field, right? You have your, your linesman, which is going to be on Iowa State sideline in this scenario, and you have the line judge who's on uh, the opposite sideline on the goal line. And like you said, the linesman signaled touchdown, which it's hard because that that's probably the correct call in this scenario. If you talk to any officiating crew ever, 
uh, on a, in a scenario like this, regardless of a fumble is supposed to happen, around, there's going to be a touchdown signaled. What, what's interesting to me is that the line judge on the opposite side did not signal touchdown, but didn't do anything at all. What he should be doing is blowing the play dead and signaling touchback in this scenario, and then they get together and discuss the play. But nothing happened, and then they bring the back judge into it, who should have no say whatsoever in this play. Uh, so I don't know if they were talking to the back judge, whether or not they actually saw the ball loose, which if that was the case, nothing should have happened, and that should have been a touchdown, potentially reviewed after that, but never called a touchback on the field. Uh, that's... It's just wild to me. I, I don't understand how there was that much of a breakdown in, in communication and officiating mechanics on that one play. Yeah, and right, and that should be the linesman's call, right? The run was to his side of the field, right? So he, he has less bodies in between him and the play. So unless he straight up tells that officiating conference, yeah, I didn't really see it, I'm not sure. I don't know how they don't go with his call. That should be his call as he's closest yeah. to the play on the goal line there. That's yeah. why I didn't understand why the back judge was in that conference at all, because he has nothing to say about this play whatsoever. The, the, the back judge has no perspective as to where the ball is relative to the goal line in, in that scenario. So yep. he, uh, he he might he, have had the best perspective on his elbow going down. Yes, that's but true. In, in which point his elbow... We, I at least, in my personal opinion, I thought his elbow was down. I don't know if that's carried by everyone. My views don't reflect the the entire views of this podcast. I thought his elbow was down, right? And at that point, the back judge could have said, well, elbow was down before the ball was out. So then doesn't it defer back to the original, like, linesman call of touchdown at that point? But obviously that's not what the back judge said, right? The back judge right. must have said the ball was out. Right, yeah. <sighs> Clearly he didn't see the elbow down, but, you know. So, yeah. When you I mean, slow it down, obviously when you slow it down, you can nitpick it. I I want to. I should go back and look at it in real time again, that one camera angle. But... Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a tough call. And don't get me wrong, I, I had those five issues with the officiating crew, and I'm not mad about them. I mean, everybody makes mistakes, but... You know, in my mind, everyone talks about how bad the officials are. And if you can't quantify how bad they are, you, you don't really have a, a reason to gripe. But yeah, no, that, that's and, a really tough call to make in real time. And I'm not mad about it, but it's still really frustrating. Like uh, a play like that, you're going to call a touchdown 99% of the time. I, I just don't understand how they, they got to touchback on the field without review. Right, because also the only way you get to touchback is that you inadvertently blew it dead because West Virginia was running down the field with the football. Now, yeah, it was, an, it was a, an IW. Yeah, that would have been a worse scenario for Iowa State, right, because that's a touchdown. But you also have the inadvertent whistle in there because West Virginia wasn't touched running down the field with the football. So, I mean, and we, we can talk about this all we want, and yes, it made a difference in the game, but... Going back to what we said at the beginning, you don't deserve to win this game when you lose when you give up 38 points. This team Absolutely cannot not. win shootouts. It's not what they're designed to do. Yes, this call hurt, but it's not the reason that you lost. You lost because you gave up 38 points um, to West Virginia on the road. That's why you lost. You can't do that if you expect to win games in the Big 12. This team can't. So, in the end, that's what it comes down to. 
Um, another thing that I would like to say that this game came down to was, well, I'm okay. Let's talk about this first. I mean, special teams was great, except for the fact that we put Corey Dunn out there every other punt with Andrew Mevis, even though Mevis has been uh, kicking the ball exceptionally well. Corey Dunn comes out and has a a really really bad kick and then next time out Andrew Mebus makes up for it on a on a, another punt. I was confused as to the rotational punter aspect in this game, but overall Iowa State played phenomenally on special teams um in this game, which was a, a bit of a surprise even though, you know, other facets of the game fell apart. Um but speaking of falling apart that Iowa State pass rush was absolutely non-existent in this game. Zero sacks. Um, uh, yeah. Will Mc, Will McDonald was noticeably absent on the field uh, in multiple occasions. I have not seen anything on his health status. Um, I'm not sure if there was something lingering that was causing him some issues during this game, but it was clear that um, uh, whatever they're quarterback's name is i almost said davis webb who used to be a quarterback for west virginia uh what's his name i don't even know right now west virginia's quarterback had all day to sit in the pocket and pick this defense apart obviously a very easy thing to do missing one of our key not not one of the key cog of the defense was a it was very easy for him to just sit back there he had all day to throw the dink and dunk stuff was picking up seven or eight yards almost consistently. There was no answer. There were no negative plays to put them behind the chains. The only time they were really behind the chains, he threw a pick six. So that was that was some that's something that has to be fixed. Iowa State needs to get some pressure on the quarterback, and even when they were blitzing, he still was unfazed. He was just checking it down, and it was working way too well so i mean these are things that all need to be fixed before next week right mike who do we who do we have next what's what does this look like next week yeah you've got iowa state you've got texas coming to town um next week that will be a 6 30 kickoff televised on fs1 um so take a look at that isu is six and a half point favorites it opened at seven it's down to six and a half now um, not a whole lot of movement. ESPN uh, FPI gives Iowa State a 63% chance to win this game. Um, so again, it's a game you're favored in. It's at home. Um, the weather looks like it's probably going to be fine. So this is a, a game you got to win. I mean, every game is a must win now if you want to get to the Big 12 championship game. More on that in a second. Um, but to me, the key is the same as it was going into West Virginia. Will Mike Rose be healthy? We know now how important he is to this defense, so that that's still the question. Will he be healthy? If he is, this game is a win, in my opinion. If not, we'll see. But to me, this game is a win if Mike Rose is healthy. That's that's the only key I've got. We need Mike Rose healthy on this defense. My and yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. Mike Rose has got to be healthy. Uh, Big 12's leading rusher is coming to town at Bijan Robinson. Uh, I, I believe he's the leading rusher in the league as well as the he has the most rushing yards per game on the season. So really great run attack uh, for Texas. But 
my key is, I mean, if Mike Rose is back and we can stop the run, can we rush the quarterback too? I, I mean, that has got to be something that Iowa State can do. That's how they that's how they generate uh, turnovers with this three three five defense. That's how they get um, those mistakes and they capitalize on them. If you don't have a pass rush, I mean, it it's it's easy to sit back and find those spots. Uh, in the zone, you you can't cover the entire field if you don't have a pass rush. So, I mean, there there you have it. So, Mike, you alluded to this. What what are our scenarios? Is it is it all but over? Is it still bleak? There's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. There's definitely light at the end of the tunnel um, for Iowa State here to make the Big Twelve title. You have to win out now. I'm not even going to entertain scenarios where they don't um, win out. There are probably some very obscure scenarios possible, but I'm not even going to entertain them. Um, so first of all, it starts with winning out, right? Now, you still hold, if you win out, you do still hold the three-way tiebreaker between um, Oklahoma State and Baylor and Iowa State because the round robin will still be tied and then the next tiebreaker is record against the top team in the league, which if Oklahoma wins out with the exception of Iowa State, Oklahoma is still the top team and Iowa State takes the tiebreaker, being the only team to have beaten Oklahoma. So to me, that's the most likely scenario that leads Iowa State to the Big 12 title game is Iowa State wins out and OU wins out with the exception of that game. Um that's, that's, to me, the most straightforward scenario, the most likely scenario of the ones that lead Iowa State to the Big 12 title game. Um, the key to that is that it must be a three-way tie between Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. If it's just a two-way tie between Iowa State and Baylor, it's Baylor's via head-to-head. Um, so we are big Oklahoma State fans down the stretch, with the exception of that game to Oklahoma. Um and we are big anti-Baylor fans. Baylor losing as many games as possible is very beneficial um, to the Cyclones here. Other scenarios that could get us there is um, Baylor winning out, um, Oklahoma losing to us and beating Oklahoma State um, might get us there as well. There are a couple other scenarios, but the most likely scenario is if Iowa State wins out and OU wins out with the exception of that head-to-head game. Um, Oklahoma losing to all three of Iowa State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State could work as long as Oklahoma State loses a different game or Baylor loses two different games. Like I said, there are lots of scenarios, each one more obscure than the next, as you can see by the way I'm going through this list. But basically, what you need to know is right now we lose head-to-head tiebreaker with o- with Baylor, win it against Oklahoma State, and we win a three-way tiebreaker, a hypothetical three-way tiebreaker still between Oklahoma State, Baylor, and ourselves. Win out, get in a three-way tie, and you're in business. That's really... That's really what you need to know. So that that's basically what I got. 
I mean, winning in Neumann is far from simple. It's simple mathematically. It's much less easy, much more difficult in person. So. Right. Well, well, it seems simple. We'll see if we can beat OU in Norman. Tall order. Uh, but don't, but don't overlook Texas here. Before. Don't overlook Texas. Just just win every game. That's that's yep. it. Focus on the next game. Yep. Uh, in switching gears to the NFL where they don't really have to worry about winning out now unless you're a team like the the Jets or, you know, a, t- a team that's already kind of out of the race. Uh, there is no more undefeated teams in the NFL. Undefeated teams no longer. The Packers downed the Cardinals in the desert. Uh, that game was the first exciting game I think we've had on Thursday Night Football in probably 14 years. Uh, they actually had a good matchup, um, and and it came down to an absolutely wild finish. Arizona has a goal line stand uh, to keep the Packers out of the end zone. Uh, they don't go for... The Packers kept Arizona out of the end zone at the end. What, no, so the so the the Cardinals kept the Packers out of the end zone first to still be down by three. They gained possession of the ball, and then Arizona marches all the way down the field. Kyler Murray throws it towards AJ Green, who doesn't turn around and look, and then the Packers uh, intercept uh, Arizona for what was the second to last play of the game. But it it ended it. It iced the game for them. So crazy last couple minutes in that game. It it was fantastic. So. Uh, Packers are playing very well. Um, that could be your NFC championship game, depending on the health of Kyler Murray. Uh, the Browns lose at home. Uh, the preseason odds-on favorite to win the AFC North now looks like they're stumbling a little bit. Baker Mayfield still is not in the best of health after he dislocated his shoulder. Um, so the, the Browns are faltering a little bit. It'll be interesting to see if they can get it back on track. They've been hit with the injury bug. The Bengals, uh, we thought, could be a contender. Came into the day uh, at at the top of the AFC North, um, and they proceed to go to the Meadowlands and lose to backup quarterback Mike White and the New York Jets. Uh, they gave up, thir- I believe, 34 points, over 30 points in that game did the Bengals. Uh they they won the turnover margin but lost the game somehow. So uh, very very interesting scenario now for the Bengals when they losing to one of the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, the Tennessee Titans outlasted the Colts in a divisional matchup that has huge implications down the stretch and now even bigger ones because Tennessee lost Derrick Henry for the la- for the remainder of the season, fracture of his metacarsal and a, a bone in his foot. Uh, and he even played through it in this game and was being seen carted around the facility uh, post-game. So they're, they're saying only six to ten weeks, so there's a chance he could be back before the end of the year now. It's only there, six to ten weeks. That is, that is true. Uh, but a, a vast majority of the season, it, yes. it will definitely change the way that Tennessee plays going forward. They're trying to turn back the hands of time. They signed Adrian Peterson to their practice squad this or today on Monday, November 1st to uh, try and fill the void that is left by that by Derrick Henry, who was the uh, league's leading rusher. Um, 
It was, and the Patriots go out to L.A. and zap the Chargers. Uh, Mac Jones and company uh, just keep playing solid football. They don't really turn the football over. Uh, Damien Harris has been running really well for the Patriots. And Justin Herbert looked a little flustered in this game. Um, Bill Belichick always seems to have a defensive scheme up his sleeve for every single quarterback that gives him fits. So... That was the day for the Chargers. The Saints lose Jameis Winston the day of the backup quarterback in the NFL. Trevor Simeon, former Broncos quarterback, comes in and beats Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Uh, who would have thought that a guy named Cooper Rush would have a game-winning drive in the NFL, but Tom Brady would, in a chance to have a game-winning drive for the Buccaneers, throws an interception to all but seal the game in New Orleans, Jameis Winston, unfortunately, is out for the remainder of the season with a torn ACL and partially torn MCL as well. Um, and the Buccaneers lose. Well, what is still up for grabs in the great fall classic is the World Series. And, I mean, this has been an absolutely fun World Series so far between these two teams. Honestly, no one thought that uh, the Braves were potentially going to be here, and no one hoped that the Astros would end up being here either. Um, but, it, I mean, it's been fun. Charlie Morton, the, the biggest storyline, I would say, so far, Atlanta, the, Atlanta took game one, but Charlie Morton threw 10 pitches on a broken leg, sat down for a half inning, Threw six more pitches, the last two of which were a 96-mile-an-hour fastball and an 80-mile-an-hour curveball to strike out Jose Altuve. Uh, so, yeah, to summarize, Charlie Morton threw 16 pitches, pushing off the mound with a broken leg. Absolutely insane. I mean, what is that? Just adrenaline? Straight-up adrenaline there, Mike? <laughs> yeah, that's really, really impressive what he did there. Um yeah, it was, it was super impressive, but good on them. He led them to a game one victory. He doesn't get the win because he didn't pitch five innings, but he, he led them to the game one victory, and of course his World Series is over. Um, he's not coming back out to pitch on that broken leg. Um, um, in game two, Houston, Houston took it to even the series at home, but then um, when the series switched to Atlanta, the series definitely shifted. Atlanta had no-hit the Astros through seven innings, a combined no-hitter um, through seven innings. Um, they ended up giving two hits, but giving up two hits, but still winning game three, two to nothing. And they squeaked by in a three to two um, win in game four to take a three one series lead going into uh, game five. And and that was a game four that the that. Dansby Swanson and Jorge Soler went back to back in the seventh inning um, to tie and then take the lead. Uh, so that was that was a crazy game down the stretch when they obviously and then they won Game Four. But then, I mean, Game Five was an absolute slugfest with Atlanta hitting a grand slam, grand slam in the fourth inning. I looked at the score. I wasn't watching the game right in the first inning. I, I got a notification, and it said, Atlanta hits Grand Slam, and I, I said to myself, well, Atlanta's probably going to win the World Series. This this That'll be good. I was happy. Uh, I start watching the game, and the Houston Astros start clobbering their way back um, into that game. 
Braves pitching, it was a bullpen game for both games, and the Braves just didn't have it in that game. So, yeah, there, there's your series. Three to two, uh, Braves are up. Um, game six and seven, if needed, uh, are in Houston on Tuesday and Wednesday. Game six, Atlanta has lined up Max Freed, their ace lefty, who hasn't been great this postseason. Um, the, he will take the mound. Houston has yet to announce their starter for this game. Um, and then Wednesday, obviously, as needed. So it, it, Wednesday, it could be interesting to see. Can Ian Anderson, the postseason darling that he is uh, on the mound for the Braves, it'll be interesting to see if he'll pitch on short rest uh, in that game if needed. So be sure to tune in on Tuesday and Wednesday for what should be a very entertaining and great end to the 2021 MLB season. Yes, it will be a great end to the season. I will be watching both of those games, if there are two of them, um, I'm sure. Moving on to Mike's stupid rules. As I referenced earlier, we're going to talk about a really, really bad play um, by Minnesota that um, resulted in um, issues for Minnesota. So um, with Dallas at Minnesota's um, 22-yard line, um, sorry, at the 20-yard line, it's third and 11. Dallas has the ball at Minnesota's 20-yard line, down by three points with a minute left in the fourth quarter. The Vikings call a timeout, um, to stop the clock because if Dallas scores, they want to have enough time to um, to get the ball back and maybe um, go down and win the game like they've done multiple times on game-winning field goals or at least tried. They've missed two of them um, multiple times this year. Makes sense. But then Mike Zimmer doesn't like the defensive play he's called and tries to call another timeout. He still had one, right? It was only the first timeout the original one he's called. But he tries to call another timeout which according to Section 5, Article 1, Item 3 of the NFL Rulebook, says each team may be granted a charged team timeout during the same dead ball period, but a second charged team timeout by either team during the same dead ball period is prohibited. Such team timeouts may follow a referee's timeout or any automatic timeout. Penalty. When a team is granted a second timeout during the same dead ball period or a timeout after exhausting its three timeouts during half, Loss of five yards. If an attempt is made to call a timeout in such situations, the officials shall not grant it, and play will continue. A penalty shall be enforced only if the timeout is erroneously, erroneously granted. After enforcement, all normal rules regarding the game and play clock will apply. So basically, it was a double mistake. It was a mistake by Mike Zimmer for trying to call that second timeout, and then it was a mistake by the official for granting it, Right? So since the official erroneously granted the timeout, it was a five-yard penalty and turned that third and 16 into a third and 11, which the Vikings then allowed Dallas to pick up by not tackling Ezekiel Elliott when they had the opportunity, resulting in a touchdown and um, a loss for the Vikings. So that's what you can't call two consecutive timeouts in the NFL per Section 5, Article 1, Item 3. So... Mike Zimmer mistake plus official mistake equals five-yard penalty equals Vikings loss. There you have it. Don't do that. 
what happens if you do that, but you're icing the kicker? Yeah, so icing the kicker is a little bit of a different situation. That's actually covered under item four of the same rule. An attempt to call an excess team timeout or to call a second timeout in the same dead ball period by team B in an attempt to freeze the kicker will be considered unsportsmanlike conduct and will subject the offending team to a 15-yard penalty. So it's 15 if you try to do it to ice the kicker. It's five yards in um, other situations. Either way, the official's still not supposed to grant the timeout, but if you do it in an attempt to ice the kicker, it's a penalty regardless of whether the official grants it. Either way, they're not supposed to, but in icing the kicker, it's a penalty no matter what, and in a regular situation, if the official doesn't grant it, there's no penalty. Does that make sense? Very so nice, 100%. Don't call two timeouts to ice the kicker. That's, that's the moral of this story. Um, and the moral of our accountability session, as always, is that we are bad at predictions. And this week will be an absolute demonstration of this with all the wrong predictions coming up. The first um, incorrect prediction is that ISU wins 10 regular season games this year um, with three losses on a 12-game schedule. You can't get to 10 wins anymore. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. Nah. Um, Wyatt predicted a while back that ISU would win out. A loss means you can't win out, so nah. Nah. Kyle predicted that Iowa State would allow one or fewer offensive touchdowns against West Virginia. Last time I checked, 38 points involves more than one offensive touchdown. Um, I wish I could give you like a something more than just wrong for this, Kyle, because this is vastly, vastly wrong, but you'll just get a nah. Nah. Hey, and in the in the prediction we missed from Josh um, last week, he put also predicted that Iowa State would win out, um, and obviously they didn't. So for that, he gets a nah. Nah. Um, I will lead us off with predictions, and we're all making Texas themed predictions. It's horns down week. Horns down. Boo Texas. We're all making Texas themed predictions. I am predicting that this Iowa State defense is going to be upset after how they played last week. Mike Rose will be back and Texas will be held to single digit points in this game. Hmm. I like it. I do too. So the I don't over know what under to give it the, though. The over under on this game according to Vegas is currently 60 and a half. And Iowa State is 6 point favorite. So that means they're predicting like 27 points Jeez. from Texas. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, seeing our performance from West Virginia, I don't really uh, blame that for being on the books. Um, mm. Man. That's a tough one. Triple? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on whether or not Mike Rose is going to We're assuming he's going to be back, right? Has that been confirmed? No, I have not heard anything about Mike Rose's status. Ah. I think I think we should. I don't know. Should we? Man, this is tough. Should we plan it based on uh, Mike Rose not playing? Mike Rose being inactive. You I have mean, to, I think that just has no, to. I think we have to right now. You have to plan it based on the uncertainty. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's part of the prediction. Uh, yes. And with that, I think a triple would be fair. 
Yeah. Triple. Triple it is. I will not argue with that. If you, if you said zero, swinging for the fences, but... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that'd be a home run Texas. regardless. We've I done it before. Shut out Texas. We have, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. You're probably right. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep. He also made a Texas prediction. Um, he is going to say that Texas is going to blow another second-half lead. He is predicting that Texas will be up at halftime and lose to Iowa State. Up at halftime and lose to Iowa State. Iowa State is a second-half team, but yeah, I, I, I don't like this one. I think double. That's what I was thinking initially. I go as far. I, I would make the argument for a triple because I don't think. I mean, I mean, you, you'll see why here in a second, but I, I don't think the first half of Josh's prediction is going to even occur. Well, you're only saying that because your prediction contradicts his. <laughs> yeah, and I'm right. So uh, I'm, I'm letting him. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting him some more points. Wait, are you doubling down? Josh. Are you doubling down on your prediction? No, no, Can you no, be no, double no. wrong? No, I'm just going I'm going up to bat for Josh. Okay. I'm still saying double. I am Kyle, as well. And that's vote. I said double, so that's that's 2 to 1. Yep. Double it is. Double it is. Wyatt, what do you got? You're right. Boo horns down week. Boo Texas. I'm going to say that Texas is never up against uh ISU. So the the scores will either be tied or Iowa State will be in the lead during the entirety of the game. Now, does this include a scenario where Texas may kick a game-winning field goal to go up with no time on the clock? Like, if they do that, Baylor 2015... Right or wrong? If they do Baylor 2015, I still think I should get my prediction right because game time has expired. Mm, technically, according to the rules, game time doesn't expire until the end of the play where the clock hits zero. Mm-hmm. So I, I know, but but for my I prediction, disagree. I think I should get it right. If All that right. happens, yeah. we'll revisit this. We'll have but it for now. For now, I'm between a double or a triple on this. Kyle, what are you thinking? I'm thinking probably triple, but maybe a double. What are your thoughts? I'm, I, was, I was thinking triple. Triple it is. Kyle, like what, do you got? what do you got, Kyle? So with the fact that Bijan Robinson is the conference leading rusher and at rushing yards per game, I believe he's at over 130 yards per game on the season. I'm saying that Texas as a team rushes for under 100 yards. Iowa State holds them under 100 yards in this game. Wow. Um, Texas averages 214 yards rushing a game um, for the record, so that'd be under half of their normal rushing output. But Iowa State does only allow 102 yards rushing per game. Um, hmm. Triple? Sure. I think it's triple. Triple it well, is. With three triples and a double, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for checking out episode 149, and go check out our Instagram page while you're at it, at 8311cast. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Beat the Longhorns. Go Cyclones. Horns down, baby.